everybody. Welcome uh, to this week's weekly live stream. Uh, this week is going to be fun, a little bit different, having a conversation. And I'll actually just, uh, let's just jump right in. I'll introduce my guest who's joining me and then we'll kind of talk about how we, or how I kind of thought of this issue or this, you know, this topic and kind of where we're going to be going. So actually joining me, good friend, good buddy of mine, Kevin. Kevin, thanks for coming on. Hey Ryan, thanks to um, thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, uh, honored to finally be a part of part of your uh, live stream and podcast. I this know, is cool. absolutely. So you know, Kevin, man, we go back. I, I keep forgetting when was. So I first met Kevin when he hosted a Sean McDowell Ryan Bell, no, yes. yeah, Ryan Bell right. debate, not Rob Bell, yeah. Ryan Bell debate at his church, and I think he said something to the effect of during that debate that his high school students planned it or set it up or organized it or something to that effect. Yeah, and I they went, were a part of the team to put everything together. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I had just moved to California and I was just getting into the apologetics world. Sean McDowell was one of my professors. And when I found that, you know, me doing high school ministry, teaching high school and doing student apologetics, that he had his students organize and kind of put together a, a debate between Ryan Bell and Sean McDowell, I thought, you know, I have to get to know this guy. And so I went straight up afterwards. I think Kevin is the first person I met. And so since then, we've worked together a lot. Uh, an incredible yes. youth pastor, uh, very wise, wise youth pastor. I think you do things very well. I, I put you I put you at the top. You know, I'll just I'll brag on you for a second. Right. I can say what I want. Right. I put you at the top of, of youth pastors who I think do do it well and really uh, know how to lead and, and train students. And so um, I'm grateful for you to come on and join us uh, and hopefully help the rest of us learn uh, a few things, maybe about youth ministry if you have questions, theology, stu students, uh, but also our topic. So let me just kind of explain where uh, we're going to be going today for all of you watching as I just kind of ramble on here. But um, is we're obviously dealing with a very different time that we're living in right now. That's no, uh, no shock is we're in quarantine and self-isolation and social distancing and everything that's going on. And I come on the show previously actually talking about uh, distractions and how we often are just distracting ourselves. I did a, a short video on that and then I barely talked about it a little bit in uh, my live stream, I think it was last week, about you know how do we actually pursue noble ends, right? How do we continue pursuing knowledge? How do we continue doing what God has created us to do rather than simply distracting ourselves uh, with more kind of noise during this time? And it was about that time that I actually saw Kevin posted online uh, that youth pastors, or he's part of a kind of a youth ministry organization or, or maybe a group, you know, a messaging group, I guess, and that they were just kind of posting games to distract students, to kind of take students' minds off of what was happening and not really dealing with the core issues of the disappointments that everyone is facing, but especially here students of senior, you know, seniors maybe not being able to graduate if they've worked for 12 years for this and maybe not being able to walk at their graduation or, you know, athletes who are having their seasons canceled. And, and how do we actually help students deal with the dif dif difficulties and disappointments? But if this even goes further because it's not just students, right? It's, you know, uh, weddings I hear being postponed and, you know, and it sounds minor, but I had a, a bike race that was canceled and I have, you know, baseball games that I usually umpire that are postponed and canceled. And, and so we're all dealing with this and, you know, maybe the excitement of NHL postseason or NBA postseason and these things that we're looking forward to. So, uh, Kevin, let's kind of just mention here really quick, you know, what was it that initially kind of got your attention of what were you seeing happening with students kind of people trying to maybe distract students versus dealing with the disappointments? 
Yeah, I think it's more of an instinctual thing. Um, I think what I was personally reacting to was the fact that we had so many youth pastors who instinctively, the first thing they wanted to do was just to help students fill in their time in terms of their boredom. Because the truth is, you know, they're not going to school physically. They have to be on online school. They just have a lot more time. And I just thought it was a little tragic that a lot of people wanted to initially go and fill in that space of like, how do we make sure that the kids are connected and they have fun? That That's not necessarily a bad thing. I think I was just a little frustrated that that tended to be the initial place that a lot of people went to versus really thinking about what the implications for all of this was. Yeah. Now, granted, I will, and I think I've learned over the last couple of you know days that like different parts of the country were dealing with this on different levels. Yeah. And I think because we're both from Southern California, um, things for us, escalated a lot faster. And so for, for us in Southern California, I think it was clear that this is going to be a massive issue. Um, it's probably going to cause a lot of the things that we were planning late in the spring, potentially even the rest of the school year, to be canceled. And I think we knew that a little faster than a lot of the other different parts of the country who maybe were taking this um, a little bit lighter and were thinking that maybe the students would be back in school by like mid-April or something like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's still stuff that was being canceled. There was the potential anyway of disappointing things like, again, not being able to go to graduate not being able to have a graduation. And this doesn't just go for high school students. This is for college students as well. Um, having to like move back home, having the semester cut off, you know, all those things that you were anticipating, all the things that you need to have closure to certain parts of your life. The fact that they're not going to have those things. Um, if I'm honest, like our instinct to like fill their time with games and stuff, I don't think is necessarily the best way to help them deal with it. We need to talk about those disappointments yeah. and be a landing place and a safe place for them to talk about the, those issues. Yeah. And I mean, just the other night, I was spending time with some friends uh, over Zoom. Can I do games over Zoom, having fun with friends? And uh, one of them is about to graduate with his uh, doctorate of dentistry. He's about to graduate yeah. dental school. And he was just informed that his graduation is not going to happen, that they can return their cap and gowns. And it's like, obviously, oh. you know, he's still going to be able to get his degree and, and practice dentistry and do what he, he desires to do. But the, the idea of the, 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 the sweat and tears, you know, the blood, sweat and tears and the time he has poured into his studies and the hard work that he's put into dental school and to not kind of receive that congratulations, kind of that pat on the back, the, the job well done that sometimes we work so hard for. It was, it was a sad thing for him. And, and yeah. I know that is for so many others is my high school students, you know, and what you said is we didn't really know what to expect. And when mm -hmm. I first went into uh, our break, right, we were told you're going to do online school uh, for two weeks and then take spring break. It was like, OK, that'll give us three weeks away from campus. I'm, I'm going to put my hope in the fact that we're going to return at the beginning of April after spring break. And so I even told students, hey, I'm going to kind of teach in a way that we will be back in the class after spring break, hoping that's true, but obviously preparing as if it weren't. And, yeah, we were just told we're not going back till May. And so I shifted mm. things around and my students are now asking me, are we going to have graduation? Are we going to do it online? Are we going to get our diplomas? How is this going to work? And so that's definitely something that like we have to think about as we deal with that. And so that's why I wanted you to come on. And so as people maybe are coming in and joining the conversations, it's just kind of just to have a conversation and talk through some of the issues that we see are happening in ways that we can kind of come along and really help students deal with these disappointments that they're struggling with. Yeah. And I think the other thing to think through is that this is only going to get worse as this gets longer. Yeah. Um, it's not going to get any easier to deal with this stuff. And like, for example, I think the UCs, some of them have already announced, have already announced that they're not going to have their commencement ceremonies. And so um, students have been signing petitions online to get them to do something because, again, they want that closure. Yeah. Um, so how do we 
talk to our students about that. What are the strategies that we can have to have our students pray through those disappointments, walk through those disappointments? Um, and I think our job as youth pastors um, is to create those spaces. And so I think that's what I've been advocating for is I think it's great that we can play games on Zoom. I think there's a lot of fun things that are available for sure. Um, and we do need that. I'm not saying that we don't have any sense of humor about anything that's happening, yeah. but ultimately in the end, um, there is a very, very serious wave of disappointment that's coming and are we preparing ourselves to be able to sit down and have conversations with students who are now asking really big important questions because yeah. it's not like this is the only disappointing thing in their life yeah I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be things that come in front of them that are going to be even more disappointing than this um, uh, more hardship more pain more suffering and the fact that you have a captive audience that wants to know, like, how do I find meaning in my life when I'm not able to have these kinds of things, um, those kinds of disappointments that stack up. And of course, it's relative. It's not the end of the world that you can't walk down, you know, uh, a stage with your cap and gown. But it is a meaningful thing to the students. And and it's a very personal thing, too. Yeah. Um, so how do we... How do we do that? How do we create spaces for us to um, engage with our students on that level? And I, we have to lead in that, too. Um, I think you will have students that want to contact you to talk about it. Um, there are those students who like want to talk about it and share about the feelings that they're going through. But I think for most students, um, that it takes a little bit of digging, especially because they don't know how long this is going to last. Yeah. And when you deal with disappointment and, and we can't we can use the word grief, you know, there's, you know, a couple of different stages that you go through. Um, and I think it's important for us to um, kind of draw those things out of the students and help them realize that it's OK that you're discouraged and disappointed in this stuff. Um, some of the students I've been talking to have been feeling a little guilty because they're like in the grand scheme of things like. Me graduating is not as bad as someone getting the actual COVID-19 virus and maybe or like their family member or their grandma or grandpa getting it and actually like maybe having to deal with like death or something like that. And so they like don't know how to deal with that because they are grieving in some way, shape or form. But it's not as serious as, say, you know, uh, someone that's going through something where they actually have the disease. Well, and I think um, sometimes I think that is almost uh, man, that that's almost that's that's sad to me because I think there are times where it's almost diminishing the actual emotions and the things that they're going through, yeah. right? And so they are mm -hmm. struggling. There there are psychological things that are taking place where there's anxiety, where there's maybe depression or just disappointment and, and true grief where, look, what you desire is good in a sense. Like it's not bad to want these things. And then to almost... I don't know, maybe immediately just kind of dismiss it and go, well, it's not as bad as them. So just kind of ignore it, sweep it under the rug. Right. Rather than saying, right. yeah, there's different levels of everything that's going through and people are losing their jobs. And maybe that is more serious than just, you know, my, you know, my bike race being canceled. But still, like, if that is something that we hold close to us, that's going to affect us. And if it's not dealt with, if it's not talked about, if we're not allowing them to process through these things, then who knows, you know, where that may lead and, and, and how we can really build those relationships in that time. Yeah. So I think it it bears on us to think through like our understanding of emotions. Yeah. Um, like what is our theology of emotions? What is it that we understand about how God uses emotions? Um, and I again, this like this is there is a great opportunity, I think, for youth workers, youth pastors, student pastors to pause and take some time to process these things with students and it's universal like everyone will understand why we're doing it 
it's not because there's one particular person that's hurting in our youth ministries or one particular student that's hurting, but it really is like sort of this collective grief that we're going through. And I think there's such opportunities to, again, provide spaces, uh, provide good teaching, and um, really be personable with the students with regards to extending that bridge and being a safe place for them to share those things. Yeah. And that that helps us to be like Christ to that particular community as we reach out um, to address their needs and the things that they're going through emotionally. Yeah. And you're right, like to say uh, and make it okay to tell them that, you know, it's it's okay that you don't have everything together or that you feel a little bit guilty about this. Um, but at the same time, this is something that we have to process through. So like I've been doing um, Zoom calls with students um, and basically having the Zoom calls essentially be spaces for prayer. And so I'm having um, like like the various small groups meet together and then we will have one person share a particular request, prayer request, um, or just share a particular frustration or just particularly something they're grieving over. Uh, and then we'll have somebody else who's on the Zoom call actually pray for them. Uh, and then I'll pray for them. And so the idea is everyone receives prayer, everyone's able to share something, and they're collectively doing this for each other. So there's actually an opportunity for them to also um, you know, be trained a little bit in terms of like, how do you pray for somebody who's grieving for something? How do you hear somebody out when they are expressing something that is that is painful? And the the Zoom call thing is interesting because there are certain um, like social etiquettes that you have on on like video conferences that are slightly different from when you're meeting somebody face to face, especially if there's multiple people on a call. You're kind of all muted. Everyone's just staring at a screen. <laughs> so a lot of people have been saying like, oh, I feel so much more listened to over a video conference call just because I feel like people are silent and then they're just looking at me and so i feel like i've got the attention of everybody yeah. and it feels nice to know that like everyone's listening to the things that i'm saying yeah. and the things that i'm sharing um so i think there's a little bit of validation and affirmation in that and and that's really been helping our group process through things over the last uh week or so yeah and that's good because i don't know if i felt the exact same way because i think with everyone muted it's like i sometimes will ask students as we i you know i'm teaching my classes over zoom and it's like all right how was your weekend how was your day you know what's going on today what tell me a highlight this week and they just go yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, unmute yourself right, and respond, right? right? So there, there's yeah. actually, you know, if you talk about there's just a difference of social interactions, like there's kind of been almost a learning curve of like, how do we communicate in a group over Zoom uh, online where um, I, I can't just simply stare at a screen and, you know, right. make it look like I'm paying attention, which I don't know if you actually are, but sure, you know, I don't know, <laughs> but we'll see uh, to actually, okay, how do we actually interact with each other? Because it is very different when you're not sitting down face to face. Yeah, totally. Uh, all right, so that's kind of one way that you uh, address this as a youth pastor is continuing the small groups, right? Continue relationships, right? I think that's one thing. Yes. Now, now, one thing that I, I shared, and, and I think it'd be cool to share here again and kind of hear your thoughts on this as well, is, you know, we, we were practicing social distancing, but the issue that we dealt with is that in our culture beforehand, you know, the, I don't remember who wrote the book, but the book came out, you know, alone together, Right. And so mm -hmm. that, that because of technology, because of screens, because of our distractions, we are physically together, but we're actually alone. Right. And that we have one of the loneliest generations that we uh, that that. Uh, of our time right now, right? And there's actually a new song that just came out, I think by Echo Smith called Lonely Generation. It's a very interesting song talking about this lonely generation that we're living in. We just have a pixelated version of ourselves. Everything's online. We have surface level friendships, surface level relationships, and we're not able to actually go deep with others. And I thought, you know, and I shared with my students and trying to encourage them of like, we had this problem before where we were together physically, but actually relationally and emotionally alone. 
And now we're adding social distancing into that where now we're physically separated and now, and we were already emotionally separated, relationally separated. We have to do something to where now, even though we're physically separated, we have to come together in a relational way. And it sounds like one way you're doing that is kind of continuing small groups and having that intentional time for prayer um, uh, with each other. Are there other ways as a youth pastor that you're kind of uh, helping them bridge this understanding of continuing those very necessary, important relationships? Well, I think um, it's definitely hard. And I think it's okay to say that, like, that's a big struggle. Um, again, a lot of the youth pastor networks that I'm a part of, uh, a lot of us are struggling with that. It's like, how do we, how do we know that we're connected with them, even though, you know, um, how do we know that we're connected with them, even though we are trying to do these video calls and different things like that? But it's interesting because I feel like that's always been the question, because we see our students. Uh, once or twice a week physically, at least as youth pastors do, in terms of like maybe a midweek Bible study at church, and then we have our uh, Sunday gatherings that we're together. Uh, and then the rest of the week, it's like we're just following up with texts or phone calls, uh, maybe taking students out for coffee or something like that. Um, but in a weird way, I feel like some youth pastors are able to be with their or are able to see their students uh, more often because of the the convenience of the Zoom call. Yeah. So in a weird way, some people I feel like are able to use this as an opportunity to to bridge that gap of like the whole alone together conundrum because at this point we can't physically actually be together. Um, but if we're on a video call together, uh, we, at least in terms of like the pixelation stuff, like we're bridging the gap there and we are connected to each other. Yeah. Um, so I think interestingly enough, I think it depends on perspective and it depends on like the groups that you are a part of and sort of the, the culture of your particular group. Um, I would say for us, we have, cause we're a commuter church. So we have people that are really from all over. Cause again, we're a Korean American church. And so um, we have certain people that live within the community, but most of our, I would say about 60% of our church actually drives uh, 30 minutes or more to get to our physical church. Wow. And so our midweek uh, Bible studies is, is about 30% of our entire youth group. Um, just because of the distance and Friday traffic and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so now we're at a place where we're having these Zoom calls and we're having a lot more students because it's just more convenient to hop on a Zoom call. So yeah. in a weird way, we're actually connecting with more students um, and the students are connecting with each other uh, in a, um, I guess, more communal fashion. So I think that's one small upside to this is that we're able to do that. And then again, because it is all conversation based, you can't just physically do things next to each other. Like you can't play basketball next to each other and just kind of focus on that. It is all conversation based. It is all checking up on each other, finding out you know what each other has been up to, um, seeing their home environment, even if it's in just a little square box like this, yeah. you know, and then just noticing things about the, the environment that they're in and being able to ask questions about that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think there's definitely um, an upside to this just with regards to the fact that people want to connect and you're missing that physical connection. You know, you're missing the, the ability to be together in the same physical space. And so um, I think that's drawing up a sense of wanting to connect um, that maybe wasn't there a week ago or even two weeks ago. Yeah. And I think it's only going to increase. So we, ha again, have lots and lots of opportunities. And I think I'm hoping to get to the point where 
I mean, again, we don't know how long this is going to last, but that people would actually start to request more and more of these types of meetings. Um, you know, like that was really fun last night. Do you think we could do another one in the morning? You know, yeah. uh, just for her, just to have spaces for people to connect. Yeah. And then the idea is when we're able to physically return back together in a particular space, it's like, well, we've been in a, you know, in an environment where like every two or three days, our students have been connecting with each other in some way, shape or form versus every three or, or, you know, four or five days even, or, or some of our students who can only come like once a week on a Sunday, um, their connection points are very, very limited, um, versus, you know, again, being able to connect every other day or every three days. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's definitely some opportunity. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a few things you said there I want to kind of touch on in, in different ways and kind of get your thoughts. Um, you know, one thing I think is just so valuable is again the church being that place that's supposed to be that deep intimate community where where the people we're accountable with and and holding us accountable and we're holding them accountable and one thing that i think is so beneficial during this time is what you just said is that we're starting to connect more um and i've seen this with a lot of people of, of wanting to be participating more and and this allowing us to build deeper relationships and it's one thing i've seen at my church and that i love about my church is we actually have a text thread with everyone in the church in the same thread and what this oh, what wow. this happens and it's a you know it's a smaller church so it works well it's not overwhelming but what's been incredible is that this has been happening now for over a year and and to actively be part of everyone's life where you're getting updates almost daily from what's kind of happening and praying for each other it's so cool then coming back together on a sunday morning and and mm -hmm. knowing what was going on in people's lives during the week and having talked to them rather than oh hey i haven't seen you for a week what's new and really then being yeah. able to take the relationship deeper when you actually see them in person, because you've had these kind of conversations, you know, over over Zoom and over texting and those sort of things. Um, I also know that, that some people are maybe fearful that we're getting used to people uh, being able, people are getting used to being able to just do church online and just be able to connect over social media and that maybe when we can meet physically again, they maybe won't want to. And they, no, no, it was easy. Let's just keep meeting online. So how do you kind of deal with that, you know, struggle or maybe that dilemma of, of I don't know, how, however that might work out? Yeah. Yeah. And there's an even broader question to ask, too, of like, what am I discovering about what the essentials are in youth ministry? Uh, because we can't meet physically anymore. So what can we do? What should we be doing? What are the essentials that even, you know, cause us to come together and say, well, this is what ministry looks like now. Um, but yes, to answer your question first, and then I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, I actually don't fear that that much. I don't think that's necessarily a concern for me um, because this, I think, is going to end up being an add-on to a lot more ministries. Especially, again, my context is I do have um, more more people that are driving from further distances. And so this is one way that we're going to be able to encourage people to connect even though they can't be with us physically. Um, but, you know, in the end, I think because people miss each other and they are developing more friendships digitally, they're going to want to be in the physical spaces together. That's what I do think um, is going to happen eventually. And again, depends on how long this is. The one thing I do worry about, though, is the convenience factor of like doing however, whether your church is doing live worship or sort of some sort of pre-recorded worship, like just the idea that you don't have to get dressed, like go out of the house, <laughs> like drive somewhere, you know, like, like all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, I do wonder if that's going to affect us, you know, yeah. at some point down the road based depending on how long this takes. Um, but I, but I do think that, you know, again, because on video, you can't do a lot of the physical sort of side by side activities that it is more relational, that it will build, um, more sticky relationships that I think when we are able to meet back physically, I actually think more people are going to be attracted to that. 
um, in the end. And what's interesting for us again, too, is we assume that we're going to be coming back together again on like a Wednesday or a Friday or a Sunday. And so the assumption that we're going to come back together again and again and again causes us, I think, to also like take for granted uh, the meetings that we have. But for whatever reason, because we can't do that anymore. Uh, these video calls become that much more precious. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing that's going to eventually get us to a place where we'll be more happy to meet with each other. Yeah. And I know that we often are people, you know, it's uh, as soon as like, you know, <laughs> we want to stay home. And then as soon as people say, Hey, you need to stay home. You should not be going outside unless essential. Then everyone's going outside. And, you know, I was riding my bike and like everyone was on the trail. Right. And I just think yeah. to, in my perspective, I just assume that, look, we're going to spend this time. We're going to be only chatting with friends over text and phone calls and Zoom and Skype and everything. And we're going to be spending a lot of time online watching YouTube videos. And, and that when it finally opens up, so to speak, where we can meet physically again, I think that there will be a drive uh, to reconnect, right? And to be those things. Because I think a lot of times where we meet on Zoom, it's like, hey, this is nice, but it'd be fun to just hang out with you, right? And, and those right. are that's often kind of the issue that comes up. Now, uh, yeah. you mentioned also that... Uh, you know, you're not just simply doing activities with the students, hey, play basketball or something where you're doing something side by side. But when you're having these meetings, you're actually having discussion and conversation. And I know that's something that I really appreciated about your ministry and how you kind of handle things is that not only you, but your your leaders have been really trained well on how to have good, mm -hmm. productive, deep conversations and discussions with students. I think that most people I kind of run into is if you put them in a small group and say, okay, lead the small group. It's like, well, what do I ask? Right. And you give them some questions, they ask the four questions and then they're out. Whereas I find right. that like right. at your youth ministry and I've been involved everything from third grade all the way to 12th grade. Yeah. Um, I've done <laughs> camps for Kevin and at all levels, every single level, you break the kids up in a small group and the kids know how to discuss, your leaders know how to ask those really pointed questions. And so are there a few kind of tips that you can maybe give to youth pastors and leaders who are out there, but even maybe parents who are trying to have conversation with their with their own kids? How do you go about asking deep pointed questions that really drive to the heart of what students are, are going through? Students will share um, when they know that you're a safe place. So more than asking questions, actually, I think learning how to be a listener is probably number one. Um, listening well, uh, like the physical things, like the eye contact, um, being interested, um, responding to the things that they're actually talking about. Um, those are going to be the number one tips uh, in terms of like how to lead a small group, um, which doesn't seem like or asking good questions um, is like, are you a person that can really pay attention and focus uh, and listen to somebody? That's like key. That's like number one. Um, and then I would say in terms of like, how do you ask questions? How do you ask good questions? Um, again, um, getting to the heart of that particular student, um, not just looking for information, but thinking through um, what their emotional state is, thinking through where they are spiritually. Um, so, for example, when we're asking small group questions about what's been going on with their lives, it's not just how are you doing this week? Um, have you been doing your devotional? Um, but really asking them the question that causes them to think a little bit deeper about their own feelings, their own emotions, uh, the things that they've been scared of, the things that they've been thinking through, um, like really helping them process through their life uh, and aiming for that and having that be the goal. Like if the goal of your small group is simply to have the answers for the questions that you're asking, then I think it's easy to just go, okay, here's question one, two, three, four. All right, I'll see you guys next week. But if the goal is to build and develop relationships, then it's okay that we don't ask all four questions. 
Um, maybe we just get stuck on question number one, but we're actually learning to get to know one another. Um, and the students are learning how to trust you as a leader. Um, I think that's the big win ultimately in the end. And that's the aim and that's the goal. And that's what we're, um, hoping to get across to our students that we want to be there, um, to have a relationship with them. We want to let them know that we care for them. Uh, so the, the end goal of the questions is not just, Here's information transfer, but it really is um, a sort of discipleship with regards to how can we help you see that we're invested in you. We want to see you grow, uh, and we deeply care about you. Yeah, but I think that's so that's so good because I often ask students of like how many how many people are you how many close friends do you have and and I think that they mm. they often shoot that number way higher than it than what it really is uh, because you know here's how many people I'm friends with on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever and here's how many people follow me. And I think a lot of our relationships are just uh, uh, information transfer relationships, right? Um, yeah. I'm a close friend and I, I know what they like and I maybe know what their favorite food is and I know that they play this video game and I know some details about them. Um, but there's a deeper level to that, right? And I think we often ask the questions like, hey, what was a highlight for your week? And those are good questions. There's nothing wrong with that. But I like how you mentioned like the question, what are you scared of, right? Mm. That, I mean, questions like what drives you? What are you yeah. afraid of? What are what what are the goals that you, these sort of questions I think get at a deeper level of not only emotion but also of personality and and really what's going on in the student's life than simply, hey, what was a highlight? What was fun? What was not fun? Um, which again are not bad questions, but they really go much deeper into the things that they're dealing with and the issues and maybe anxieties and fears that they have. Yeah, and if you think about the emotional development, of a human being and where sort of junior high students are and where high school students are, um, they're really beginning to process through their own emotions. And so when you're invested in those, that, that chaos that exists inside of their heart and mind, um, they are far more willing to be like, okay, this person's ready for my crazy, here it is. And they'll just give it. And like, that's how you earn their trust is like to receive that and be like, you know what? It's okay that you're going through all of this stuff right now. But I care for you. I love you. I'm here for you. Uh, and that's just the simplest way. It's not the easiest way, but yeah. it is a simple way for us to mirror uh, Christ's heart for us, too, because adults don't have it all together. <laughs> we have all sorts of things that we're thinking through. We have all sorts of fears and anxieties and stuff. We're just, you know, better at cleaning it up and presenting it. Um, but truth be told, when we're in a place where we really need Jesus, we just got to learn how to process it with him. Uh, and so we want to be that safe place for students. Yeah, that's good. So uh, you, you mentioned so the different kind of ages. I think it's important. I want to come back to that because I know you're you're a father of of young kids. Um, yes. And then so you know how how do you do this at a younger age with younger kids who, you know, hey, their their disappointments. You know, if we talk about that spectrum. You know, before it's very very small. Maybe what they're actually missing out mm -hmm. on. Uh, but man, it maybe even feels bigger and greater to them than others, as well as kind of junior high and high school. But also. Um, maybe starting with is that you mentioned, you know, with the adults, um, I think in order to have these conversations, in order to just open ourselves up to, to really hearing what students have to say, I think sometimes it strikes fear in maybe some adults of one, what if they say something that I don't like? Um, or two, yeah. what if they, what if they ask questions that I don't know how to respond to? 
So maybe what yeah. would you say first to the adults who are wanting to dig deep into conversation with, with students and really get to the heart of what's going on, but either one, don't think that they have answers or two, uh, man, if my student tells me that I that they're doing this or they're doing that or they think this or they think that, I, I'll just get upset. And how could you think that? How could you do that? No, I've taught you better. You know, I don't know. Uh, how, how, how would you first kind of come along the, the adults in helping them deal with these conversations? Yeah. Again, I think listening, um, by the time they get to junior high and high school, um, the best way for you to shepherd their heart is to be a place and a, uh, to be a person who is willing to, to listen. And that requires a lot of patience on our behalf for sure. Um, I think when your, your children are a lot younger, um, it's easier for you to be in that sort of mentoring role where you are teaching them. But once they get to that junior high and high school age and they want that independence, um, it's we have to begin to make that transition over into being a, a place and, a, and, a, and a, again, a person that's um, open to, to hearing uh, and open to listening, um, having a lot of patience, um, guiding them in a, in a different way um, through utilizing questions rather than it's almost like um, Greg Kokel's book tactics. Yeah. Um, I actually think that that's not just good for apologetics conversations, but I actually really think it's good for parenting conversations I, as well. I tell, so I tell people that's even good for business conversations. Just any time, oh, totally. anytime you're ever yeah. in conversations where you have to, where you're trying to present someone something and they're asking when you're in that conversation, uh, that yeah. book is one of the greatest books that you can read. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's helpful for driving the conversation deeper because yeah. you're getting to the root of particular things and you're interested in their answer. And so it's actually a great way to begin to develop just that heart of like helping people to see that you want to listen to them. Yeah. And you're not just trying to argue and you're not just trying to lecture and you're not just trying to get them to see things from your perspective, but that you're interested in their perspective. You want to know what makes them tick. You want to know what it is that they're really feeling. And again, getting to the emotions of stuff with, with teenagers is especially crucial because they have so many and they're willing to sort it out if somebody's willing to listen. That's why they love talking to each other so much because they feel like that those are safe places for them to share. Yeah. Um, and as adults, you know, we want to provide them with wisdom, but we have to be that um, safe place first and foremost. And do students, I mean, I'm just curious if you talk to students and if any of have kind of shared with you of like, how many adults do they feel like are listening to them, uh, do understand them, are taking that time to really know what's going on in their life? Because I know like, I know there's studies that show that like most students don't have adult mentors. Yeah. And is yeah. it because adults aren't trying? Is it because students don't feel like adults are there? Like, is there a disconnect somewhere? Is it something Probably. that students want? Do they just not know it or they desire it and they just wish it was there? <laughs> I think I think a lot of them want it to be there, but they don't know that they want it to be there. Yeah. Like, because I think our culture spends a lot of times convincing kids that they don't need adults around, yeah. that their lives are better when adults aren't around. Uh, I think I've shared this with your group at Chapel. Like, um, the the Disney Corporation has done a great job of creating movies where uh, it's clearly more fun when parents aren't around. So yeah. all the moms are dead, all the dads are dead of all the Disney princesses and characters. And it's just, that's how we get rid of these boring characters. And that's how you can really live your life. Yeah. That, that seeps it, it that seeps into us in very very subtle ways, um, but at the same time we long for that wisdom. We long for that sort of mentoring relationships. I think that's why by the time you get to college, usually, like that is a really really 
primal need, I think, for a lot of college students. And they feel that more so than, let's say, junior high and high school students, for sure. Yeah. And I know um, that, like, Jeff Myers at Summit Ministries, he gives a talk titled something to the effect of, like, you, you need old people. And I had him yeah. on the podcast years ago, and he's actually we're in email conversations now to have him come back on again. Um, nice, but but yeah, like you need old people, and and why old people need you. And I remember, and I actually just gave this encouragement to my students this last week of uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got in a young person or when I was young was reach out to people who are older from you than you and learn from them. And in fact, a pastor said something to the effect when I was in high school or college, he stopped his sermon. I mean, it was part of his sermon, but he kind of stopped and said. All you young people in here, college students and below, look around you. Find someone who's old sitting near you. And when the service ends, walk up to them and say, can I have lunch with you? Mm-hmm. And then just talk to them, ask them questions and and learn from them and grow. And this you know, brings life to older people. And this gives wisdom and encouragement to younger people. And I think it's so valuable that we don't have. And so that was one encouragement to my students is like, you need this. In fact, uh, you know, another thing is that we just finished in my... Um, and my doctrine class, I just tested on it today, was the chapter on if Christianity is true, why do people walk away? And one of the things that the book shared was that one of the biggest factors in young people remaining in the church through their college years was having an adult mentor. It's yeah. not how many times they did their devotions. It's not how often they attended youth group. It's not even if they're born and raised in a Christian family. It was if they had an adult older mentor they were more likely to stay in the church than those who did not. That was the number one factor. Yeah. Yeah, it's because of the intergenerational portion. Like you feel like you're a part of the church. Because I think it's so, again, I'm coming from an immigrant church context, like the main sanctuary, like what we consider like the main congregation and the main building that the adults are worshiping in, our students and our children are barely never in there. Right. It's almost like even just from a physical perspective, they're not a part of the church. They all have their own little rooms on the side. And so when you have adults that are willing to step into the lives of students, it creates that bridge and it helps them to see that they're an essential part of the body. They're an essential part of the church. That's what keeps them hanging on in the long run. Yeah. So maybe asking you a controversial question, then what are your thoughts on when uh, churches create completely separate youth services, not just youth service on Friday night, which I think is awesome, but even like on Sunday morning to try to entertain and try to help, hey, more students are connected because they have their own service, but it's 100% completely separate their own worship, their own sermon, everything on Sunday morning from the main congregation. Are there benefits or negatives to that? What would you say? Yeah. Well, so again, for us, that's a must. We have to do it that way because of language and culture barriers. So the adult congregation for us, they're worshiping in the Korean language. uh, And a lot of our um, second generation immigrant students, they're actually not able to speak Korean that well or able to worship that well. So it's not their language. So we have a practical reason we have to do that. And it's because of language. But at the same time, the the criticism that's um, levied against that sort of system, we do see. Right. Because you have this idea that like my church experience is just me plus like one grade above and one grade below or something. Yeah. And it's like that's what my my understanding of the church family is. And so that leads to situations when, let's say, um, you know, uh, two years ago, we had to combine our junior high and high school ministries. And it was hard. Uh, the junior hires and the high school students, they're really not that far apart from each other in a lot of ways. They really didn't like being with one another. 
and it was like, well, this is a love issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, we need to disciple our students to see that the church is not just designed for you to have your comfortable space. Um, the church is designed for people of all ages, uh, of all sizes, shapes, and colors to be able to combine together because it's really about Jesus first and foremost. So that became a discipleship issue. And so we have actually stuck together. We've decided to, for that reason, actually stay together as junior high and high school. Um, and that's been something that, again, um, has created a lot of opportunities for us to teach a little bit more about what church actually is. Um, but at the same time, again, for practical reasons, we can't, um, again, but that, that, that's a language thing for us. Yeah. Um, but I will say though, again, it depends on like why you're doing it. Like, are you doing it simply because you feel like, um, every group needs to be isolated and it's, it's, um, a level of learning thing. I think that the, the justifications for this, um, really matter in the end because the medium is the message. Um, how you're presenting the gospel to junior hires, how you're presenting it to high schoolers, that's different from, let's say, college students or and above. Um, that 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 does make a difference in terms of how you're training them as disciples. Yeah. So if the whole point is, well, we just want to provide you with a comfortable space where everyone's like you, um, everyone knows the same things that you do, uh, and we just want to make sure that church is a place where you just feel comfortable um, – then I think it's going to be hard when stuff like this happens to be like, well, it turns out that life is really difficult and you still need to have faith in Jesus, even though it's hard. Hmm. It's like, well, but the form, the form in which I've been discipled has been all about my comfort and has been all about me being served by everyone else versus the other way around. And so in the long run, I think we have to think through these questions pretty, um, pretty well. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting, you know, uh, and even just, you know, the place is not necessarily the place for entertainment, not that it should be boring, but it's not for entertainment, right? The, the, the purpose of the church is to be part of the body of Christ and to participate in the kingdom, kingdom purpose and kingdom work that God has called us to. And that's being part of community, intergenerational community and, and working together and serving and using the gifts and the talents that God has given us uh, to serve, not to simply just sit back and be entertained. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I want to come back cause I mentioned this and now we're, there's a few more questions that came up and just thoughts as we're just talking through these things, but I kind of go back to the different ages. So as a parent, uh, your children, I forget exactly how old, but they're younger children. Um, how do you as a parent have conversations with your kids as you know, they're dealing with some of the disappointments that they're going through of not being able to hang out with friends and maybe, yeah. I don't know if they're a part of any sports or clubs or dance or anything like that. Um, and just not be able to go to school. How are you as a parent dealing with those sort of kind of disappointments at, at your kids' ages? Yeah. So I have a three-year-old, uh, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, so preschooler, kindergartner, and second grader. And um, it's been relatively easy so far there have been a few kind of breakdowns and disappointments uh and it does have to do with them wanting to be at school they love their school our kids go to a classical academy and our teachers this past week have been able to do zoom calls that's the highlight of the day yeah. <laughs> um, our internet actually went out yesterday and our daughter is in the middle of my daughter's zoom call and she's the kindergartner and she was devastated that like she couldn't have the extra 30 minutes that she Mm. wanted to really connect. Um, So that's been really hard. But one of the things that we've been doing is we've been talking to our kids about how this is actually an opportunity for us as a family, that one of the reasons why we have to do this and um, 
one of the upsides to this is that God wants us to be together as a family. God wants us to focus on him. God wants us to do and um, do our devotionals together in a little bit more um, regular fashion. Um, my wife, Tracy, started a gratitude journal for our for our kids. And so we've really been focusing in on that, mm. um, helping our students, our students, helping our children uh, to be thankful every single day. And it's been cool. Like the things that they've been writing are like really simple things. But the goal for us is that, you know, when this is all said and done, I want uh, our children to be able to look back on this time fondly um, because of what they've been able to receive from family versus the things that they've been able to, they've had to miss out on. Um, and so that's the way in which we've been talking to our kids is we've been constantly reminding them of the things that we should be grateful for, the things that we should be thankful for. Um, and we've been telling them too, like, it's okay to miss your friends. Like, isn't it, um, doesn't it, doesn't it make, uh, meeting them seem so much better, mm. you know, like, Two weeks ago, you guys were complaining about waking up in the morning to go to school, <laughs> and now you're in a place where you miss them. And I'm like, um, that's that's God showing us and teaching us that maybe we have taken too many good things for granted, hmm. and now we have an opportunity to repent of that um, and to come before the Lord and be thankful, um, so that when we have an opportunity to go back to school, you know, we would rejoice um, at the fact that we get to have physical meetings together. We get to be at this school together. We get to learn in a classroom environment together. Um, again, stuff we take for granted or stuff that we dreaded three weeks ago. Now it's like we miss that stuff and that's what we want. Um, so for, for the little ones anyway, that's been our strategy is to focus on what can we be thankful for? Yeah. And I think that's so good because, I mean, I think that's a a huge benefit. And I've been hearing this from different families of just the, the, increased time, right, that they're able to spend with their kids. And I think that's one thing that our culture has just become so busy, so distracted, right? Normally, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's also true of like, you know, it used to be, maybe even still, I don't know, it's like when you ask someone, how are you doing? The first response is like, ah, busy. It's just, we're just always so busy. And now it's like, man, there's still a lot, there's still stuff going on, but man, it really causes you and forces you maybe to take a break. And, you know, this idea of taking a Sabbath and rest and actually take, you know, (laughs) some downtime with family. You know, I grew up in in a denomination of Christianity where we really took that part seriously of taking downtime with family once a week. And I really do appreciate it, right? Some of the rules of what the things we could and couldn't do were kind of seemed crazy as a kid, but I really look back and recognize the benefit of spending that time with family and how beautiful and precious that was. So hopefully that's that's encouraging to kind of uh, hear it from that perspective on, on dealing with those um, disappointments with the young ones. Um, yeah. So when it comes to like maybe junior high and high school, do you address yeah. those students differently? Um, right now we are because we have an opportunity because of the video call situation. Yeah. Um, the first sort of big youth group one that we did together, we had 66 students on the call. Um, and it's not like they can all communicate with each other. So we use the breakout room features in Zoom to you know, get them into small groups and stuff. But it's very difficult to do anything as a large group. So we quickly pivoted away from that. And we've been trying to target the students um, kind of in pairs, like the sixth, uh, the seventh and eighth graders, the ninth and tenth graders, and the, the 11th, 12th graders. Uh, that strategy has been working a little better for us just with regards to, again, being able to connect. Yeah. Um, our meetings at church, they would always be combined. And so there wasn't really an opportunity for us to do that separately. But again, because of the flexibility of the Zoom call, this is, again, is one of the upsides to this. Yeah. Um, we can target them 
and um, they have been really grateful for that. So for now, anyway, our strategy is pivoted to smaller groups only because the the video conference, the nature of video conferencing, kind of requires that, um, just because of the chaos of everything. So <laughs> it was crazy. We did uh, 66 students, and then we took a break. But during the break, I was like, I'm just gonna go ahead and unmute everyone's mic. Um, and we did a three minute break. I was like, go to use the restroom, grab a drink of water or something. But everyone stayed because they were just fascinated by the <laughs> fact that you could hear 66 people trying to say hi. In a Zoom call, the window doesn't even get big enough to fit all 66 people yeah. in gallery view. You can only have like 20 something. 25, you have yeah. Pages. <laughs> you, have to, you have pages that you have to go through. And like they were like saying hi to each other. Like everyone was doing that. It was crazy. Yeah. It was fun. But again, you can't do the entire call that way. Yeah. So we did that for three minutes and then we muted everybody. And then we did um, different activities in the breakout groups. Yeah. So it's like we were together and everyone – it was good for everyone to know that we were like physically online at the same time. But there's no like big group thing that you can do. So that's definitely one limitation of doing video conferencing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Um, a question just came in. Um, so I'll put it up here. Uh, and um... – the question there is at the top. Um, Sarah has four, a four-year-old, started teaching her daughter a little, but would like to ask you about uh, tips you have for teaching really young kids about Christianity. And so just to kind of jump in here really quick before you jump in, yeah. is um, I had an interview set up with Natasha Crane, who's written a wonderful series of books, talking with your kids yes. about God, talking uh, 40 conversations you need to have with your kids about God, and then, ta and then her newest one, talking with your kids about Jesus. Um, I think the book is around here somewhere. I know. I have it somewhere. Yeah, too. I don't know where I'm I put it. it. Um, it's probably on my table outside. But that interview had to be postponed because the week we were supposed to do it is the same week that all the schools were canceled. Kids are back at home. And she said, hey, I have to try to figure out how to do online school with my kids. And so that's been postponed. We're still finding a date. There it is. Um, so that just is. so you know, that is a future interview. Hopefully that's coming up as I re try to get uh, that rescheduled with Natasha Crane as things settle down here. Um, but Kevin, what would you say, uh, some tips for teaching really young kids about Christianity? Nice plug. That was really smooth. Um, <laughs> honestly, the number one thing for our, our kids when they were that young is catechism. Um, we have a yellow, tiny little yellow booklet. I'll send Ryan the link, and I don't know if he can edit the YouTube thing, so he you can know, put it at the bottom. I'm going to do something fancy here really quick. I'm going to switch the video over oh. just to you, and I'm going to run, and I'm going to grab a book that I, that we, that I have oh, and okay. that I've used as okay. well. So you, here, you can answer, but I'm – I don't yes. even know if this is professional, if I'm going to miss part of this, but <laughs> it'll be worth it, I think. It's recorded, yeah. so you can listen to it later. Yeah, there you go. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think catechism um, is the best way um, because a children's catechism, a really, really simple kid's catechism, they're just memorizing stuff. And they're at the age where they can absorb information. They may not be able to understand all the nuances of what they're talking about. However, you're beginning to give them language. Um, and as they develop and as they get older, those things will start to click. They'll actually begin to make connections. And so um, we would teach our children and go through the catechism, very, very simple questions, you know, who made you, right? Um, and the answer to that is God. And then later on, maybe a year later, uh, they would be learning something at uh, children's uh, Sunday school. And somebody would ask them that question. Um, you know, we're reading through the story of Genesis. And, you know, it says that God did this and God did that. And then they would throw out a question of like, who made you? And, you know, obviously all the kids would answer, oh, God made us. And then they would say, why did God make you? And so for a lot of uh, kids, that's a harder question to, to answer. Um, but because the catechism provides that as the second question, 
after who made you? Why did God make you? Uh, for God's glory. And so my children would raise their hand. A couple other kids whose parents are also doing catechism would raise their hand, and they would answer for God's glory. Did they understand exactly what they meant that meant at the time? They don't, but they knew that they had the ability to answer that question. And so now my kids are again eight, six, and three. Three-year-old is still getting used to answering the questions, but for my six and eight-year-old, I mean. They're at a place where they can really begin to have conversations about what the answers to these catechism questions mean. Um, what does it mean that we um, live for God's glory? Um, what does it mean that we reflect God's glory? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Um, what does it mean that we as human beings are ambassadors for God, that we reflect uh, the person of Jesus? Um, and so they're beginning to a- ask those questions now when we go through the catechism with them. So I think um, going through the catechism with uh, young children is super, super important. It also, as a parent, helps you to feel like you're making progress. Um, I think as parents, um, there's lots of things that we start with our children that are very hard to finish. Um, personality wise, like I'm somebody who likes to start things. I love starting things. I'm not that great of a finisher. Um, but catechism again is a system of questions. And so, you know, you're making progress as you go from question one to two to three to four to five. And it feels good as a parent to be able to go through that. You may not be able to do catechism questions every night. Um, maybe you can only do it once a week or twice a week. And that's like the the uh, schedule and that's the shape of your particular family's life but as you go from question one to two to three to four you're going to feel like you're making traction it may be slow um, and it may not feel like everyone's um, necessarily having fun Um, but again fun is not necessarily the aim of everything that we're trying to do and sometimes good to be able to to set the tone and say you know this is really important we're going to need the answer to these questions someday um and i think that's where catechism is really helpful yeah that's good and i did catch most of that um so here's my i don't know if this is the one that you use yes similar Similar. we have another one but we we do have that one as well okay yeah yeah. very simple so this is the one that, that i have here in my house even though i don't have kids we got it and um, and I've used it, for example, uh, I was asked to do a chapel, uh, kindergarten through eighth grade chapel. And I was like, my mm-hmm. goodness, what do you do from youngest kindergarten to oldest eighth grade? And so what I chose to do is I picked, I picked five uh, of the catechism questions uh, regarding salvation because their life verse was about uh, taking out of Isaiah, talking about the thing that Jesus does, uh, you know, kind of pointing to Jesus. And... Um, so I talked about the idea of salvation. So for the really young ones, I just went over the five catechism questions and kind of did a question and response and made words disappear and made them keep repeating the answer to hopefully get them to at least memorize something, as well as um, uh, the older kids. And I went deeper into some of the points, right? So there's right. more content right. for the older kids, but at least the younger ones hopefully are memorizing it. And I've also, you know, talked to other people. For example, I had Brett Kunkel on a few weeks ago, and I know his wife, Erin, uh, use catechism type questions at their um, children's ministry at church. And she, I remember her sharing a story that, you know, at the end of the year, you know, most kids go to kids' church. And it's like, what'd you do today? Oh, I made a picture. And, you know, and they can't really remember right. what the lesson was about. They right. invited all the parents uh, to some kind of end of the year or summer celebration or something like that. And they had the kids go, get up and recite question and answer after answer after answer after answer, after answer showing the parents cool. what the kids had learned. And it was like, wow, how incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely an awesome um, uh, resource for young yeah. kids. And if you if you want some help with if parents want help with regards to like online um, resources, uh, New City Catechism 
Um, they have one that's for older kids and they have one for adults and then they have one for younger children. Um, they kind of split up the answers into the different levels and they have videos and songs. Songs are a great way to memorize catechism questions. Um, and songs enable younger children to, to memorize slightly longer answers because they're all put to music. Um, so there's a lot of different things there that I think could be helpful too. Good. Wonderful. All right. So we have, you know, maybe about five or so minutes left. Um, and so just kind of thinking through, you know, with, I know you, you came to my school the last time. You, so you've come to my school and shared three times, right? The, the talk that you mentioned, you shared about Disney movies was your, yeah. was the first time yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. so good. We had you come back and finish it. Um, <laughs> but you also kind of came back and, and, and discussed, um, the topic of anxiety and depression. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in our last few minutes, and you know, I know this is something we could spend an entire hour on, but, you know, for kind of more specifically, maybe focused on those instead of just kind of dis- disappointments, uh, what, what are ways in which we can really come along people that are that are anxious? I mean, I know per- yeah. I personally know people that are out of work and maybe out of work for the next month. And it's like, how am I going to support yeah. my family? How am I going to do this? And really kind of that fearful anxiety uh, that people are in. How do we really come alongside people and love them in that situation? Um, I think, again, um, listening, being there. Um, Allowing them to talk about their frustrations, anxieties, uh, the things that they're worried about, um, asking them those questions that really help draw it out of them. Um, that's going to be really helpful. Um, but I think for me, the way that I've been walking alongside um, the people at our church through this pandemic and through all of the things right now is just um, reassuring them that God is with them and God hears them. Um, right now, we are walking through a spiritual disciplines um uh, series and I I don't think it could have come at a better time because we yeah. do need to take time to process through all the things that are going on in our life right now with the Lord specifically and again I think this 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 quarantine this time at home provides us some reprieve from our schedules to be able to do that um, somebody um, somebody once said like I always knew that like. Jesus is everything I need. Like I mm-hmm. sing those songs on a Sunday morning. But then when you actually have everything taken away, you don't actually realize how much you need until Jesus is all you have. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of people, especially, I mean, you know, we want to help materially. Um, we want to be able to help in terms of meeting people's needs, but in terms of meeting people's spiritual needs, it's appointing them towards Jesus. The Psalms right now, I think, are probably the best place for people to really be sitting in, uh, reading together. Uh, Psalm 13 has been something I've been meditating on because I didn't realize how much anxiety I had until this particular week. Like, I think I'm addicted to control. And when you have no control of a situation like this, it just pulled the rug out from under me. And I was just left thinking, what can I do? Like I find myself reacting to to this situation by coming up with projects to do because I'm an action-oriented person, but there isn't anything to do about this. Like I can't just don a mask and start going off and helping people deal with this. I mean, even hospitals, they're just trying to keep people alive. Um, it's not like there's a magic pill or there's a vaccine for this. Like this feels so out of my hands and I'm realizing that I've never really dealt with my anxiety issues and I've never really dealt with my self-control issues. Um, and so coming to the Psalms, reading the Psalms, um, Psalm, Psalm 13 in particular this week has been really just ministering to me because it really is just about God. I don't know where you are in all of this and I don't know what you're doing in all of this, but then at the end, but I'm going to trust you because I trusted you in the past. Um, the phrase that I've been using is we have to trust um, 
in the dark what we trusted previously in the light. Hmm. I think that's based off of something C.S. Lewis said. Yeah. Um, but the idea is like, no, there, there were moments in my life previous to this where I knew God was in control. And right now, when it feels so out of control, can I continue to trust that God is in control? Yeah. Um, and so learning how to do that and spiritually attaching myself to those truths, the best way for me is to just come al- alongside those saints before who have written in the Psalms those very feelings. And God has put his stamp of his approval on, yeah. right? Like those things are in the Bible for a reason. It's because God empathizes with us. God sympathizes with us. Yeah. And it's one of the ways that he's drawing us to him. Yeah. So That's so yeah. good. Um, you know, I, I, man, that's so good. I, we probably should just stop it there, but I have one more question for you based on what you said. Yeah. Um, and uh, just not even on that same topic, but a little bit different. But you mentioned, you know, going through the spiritual disciplines um, with students. And, you know, I just am curious on how your students respond and maybe encouragements that you can give maybe to other pastors, because, you know, that's very different than um, entertaining students and doing the very, you know, we often hear you need to give, you know, the things that are, <laughs> we need to teach them the things that are relevant, right? We have to be relevant, talk about relationships. Yeah talk about dating, talk about those things. And again, they do need a biblical perspective of those. But I, it's not very often that I hear youth pastors saying, uh, we're going through a series on spiritual discipline. So how do you go about that in the beginning? And then how how have the students responded um, to that series? So it's funny because we started the series before all of this happened. And the students were just like, okay, like, yeah. We know it's important. Like, thanks for giving us ways to connect with God. Um, But then all of a sudden this hits and people are like, I realized I don't know how to shore up my faith. Hmm. I don't know how to grow in my faith. I don't know what it actually means to trust in God. Hmm. Like I said, I sing about it. I, I hear it. I've been taught it. I know that that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't actually know what to do. Like, how do I actually spend my time to grow my faith? And the idea is we have spiritual disciplines. So when we think of spiritual disciplines, we have a tendency to think about things like fasting, Bible reading, and prayer. Yeah, um, Those are the three top things that we think about. But there's actually um, a, a book um, by a woman named um, Calhoun. Her last name is Calhoun. It's called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Um, she's a bit more on the, the charismatic side of things. But I think she has a really awesome list of things that you don't normally think about as spiritual disciplines. But it's practicing um, – practicing things that come from the fruit of the spirit that allow you basically to do things. Um, okay. That's a very unclear way of saying this. I should have a better <laughs> way, of this, but it's, um, it's basically, okay. Um, taking the fruit of the spirit, right? The things that the Holy spirit is already doing in your heart and then showing you practices to grow those things in you. So for example, uh, one of the examples is gratitude. So the spiritual discipline of gratitude is actually, there's multiple ways you can practice it, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to do things that bring up gratitude in your heart. Um, and so you sit and one of the, one of the things that we're doing is we're sitting and every day you jot down 10 things that you're thankful for. And by the time you're done writing those 10 things down, you've gone through the process of taking whatever mind and whatever, you know, emotional state you were in previously, after you write those 10 things down, you can't help but feel gratitude in your heart. Um, You can also do things where you actually intentionally write letters of gratitude to other people. And again, whatever emotional state you were in before you started writing those letters to those people, by the time you're done writing two or three letters to people, you feel gratitude in your heart. Like you're feeling grateful. Like it actually does something to you to bring out that fruit of the spirit. And so that's essentially what we're going through. And 
I'm finding that, you know, God in a weird, strange way has kind of prepared us for this quarantine by granting to us this particular series that we're in. And now we're trying to figure out how do we hold our people accountable? So I'm doing Zoom calls based off of the spiritual disciplines. Mm. And each Zoom call is just a quick hour. We are I'm covering what the spiritual discipline is why we should do it, what the benefits are, and then we're going to actually practice it, like whatever it is. So last night we did one on gratitude, so we wrote down 10 things. We shared two of those things that we wrote down, and then we just prayed for each other, and that was it. Hmm. And then later on this week, I'm going to email everyone that was on that call just to ask them, what are your gratitude practices? You need to send me an email back as an accountability for what you've been doing. Um, And we're going to do that, and we're going to go through – uh, another six or seven by the time two weeks is over and we have another like 15 or 16 that we're hoping to get through wow. by the time we hit Easter. That's the goal. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking this time. It's always an encouragement to spend time with you guys and to you have a blessing in my life and my students and in my ministry, as well as me being able to participate in yours. So thank you so much. Totally. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you watching, I hope that this was an encouragement to you. Let me remind you of a couple things before you click away. Next week is going to be my spring break, which means I'm going to be busy with two interviews next week. On Tuesday, I'm interviewing Andrinette Roberts from Reasons to Believe. She's a molecular biologist and virologist. We're going to be talking about why did God create viruses? How do we understand viruses? Why do they spread? Why do they mutate? All those kind of questions. And so if you have questions that you uh, about viruses, you can send those in. Uh, you can do so um, on Instagram, on Twitter. You can send those to me. You can also comment in different ways or follow and watch that discussion live. Uh, it'll be posted here soon in the upcoming videos, as well as on Thursday, I'm going to be talking to John Noyes from Stand to Reason on his topic of um, of suicide. And so really de- dealing with a difficult thing there that really is affecting a lot of students. And so uh, you can subscribe, stay up to date with all the videos and interviews, two of them that are coming up next week, as well as send in those questions and interact. So guys, thank you so much for watching. I pray that this is an encouragement and a blessing to you this week. I pray that you continue to go out, build those deep relationships, communicate, and, and really come alongside those that are hurting and truly share the love of Christ uh, with them and be that uh, the person that Christ has called us to be in this culture. So thank you so much for watching participating. Have a wonderful rest of your week and weekend, and uh, God bless you guys. I just ask you leave, won't hesitate to fight.